Forest City Church. Anyone and everyone. Today, we are continuing a series with a little asterisk by it, living on a prayer, pray about everything. I love that we've been able to for the last several weeks, the very beginning of this year in 2024 here at Forest City Church, not only are we taking time to pray each and every single week, but we are also teaching about the power of prayer, the importance of prayer, the significance of prayer, and how this can really truly apply to your life and my life on a daily basis. So we're living on a prayer. We learn about the Shema prayer, this ancient prayer found in Deuteronomy that was passed down from generation to generation to generation. We talked about how that has, uh, has to do with your mind, your body, your soul. And then now we're moving into praying about all things, praying about everything. So in the, le- in the next few weeks, we're going to talk about prayers in the Bible about confession or thanksgiving, prayers of healing. Today, I get to start this series, and I want to start with reading Mark chapter 11, 22 through 25. This is in the message translation. If you have a Bible, you can open it up, or you can just follow along on the screens. Jesus was matter of fact. Jesus speaking, he says, embrace this God life. Really embrace it. And Nothing will be too much for you. This mountain, for instance, just say, go jump in the lake. No shuffling or hemming or hawing, and it's as good as done. That's why I urge you to pray for absolutely everything. Ranging from small to large, include everything as you embrace this God life, and you'll get God's everything. And when you assume the posture of prayer, remember that it's not all asking. If you have anything against someone, forgive. Only then will your heavenly Father be inclined to also wipe your slate clean of sins. Now that last verse, 1125, let me read it in the ESV. It says, whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Today, you have the privilege to listen to me talk about forgiveness. Oh, yeah. No leaving. Yeah, we got to stay. We locked the doors, so you got to stay in your seat. So buckle up. We're going to talk about forgiveness. Let's pray. God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for today. Thank you that, God, you're with us, that you're here with us. And, God, thank you for moments like these that we can be reminded that this God life that you desire for us to live fully, as your word tells us, abundantly includes forgiveness. Not only are we to receive forgiveness, but God, you command us to give it as well. So God, I pray that today would be a day that we can open our hearts, open our minds, begin to soften our souls even this morning to be open to what it is that Jesus, you taught so long ago that you begin to teach us even here this morning at Four City Church. In Jesus' name, and every single person said, amen. Let me start by asking a question. Have you ever been chased by a dog before in your life? Now, unwantedly, this is not you out in the backyard playing catch with a puppy. This is a dog racing after you, chasing you down, and you're like, I have to now fend for my life. And show of hands, who, who has been, you've been chased by a dog Hey, you know, it's enough of you to understand. This is one of those moments where it's a little 
You know, if you're a dog person, maybe you're like, oh, hey, little cute doggy, and then the dog bites you, and now you are scared of dogs, and you have to forgive the dog. This is the whole message today, forgiveness. I'm kidding. When I was a kid, though, I grew up in the country, so my my neighbor and I, Andrew, we would get on our bikes, and we would just ride our bikes for miles, just on the streets, just riding around, and we came across this house one time on this street, and we're just kind of pedaling. It's a beautiful day, summer day, this is great, and we see this house, and as we're kind of getting closer, enjoying ourselves, this dog starts running out from the front yard, and we think to ourselves, oh, surely it's just going to stop, surely maybe it's on a chain, or surely it's trained to not chase people on bicycles, especially children. So as we're on our bike, we're going, we notice this dog is not stopping, it's going to continue to come after us, so then we start pedaling what? faster and faster to get away from this dog. And then I'm up in front and Andrew's behind me and the dog eventually catches up to Andrew and bites Andrew's leg. And Andrew's kind of like kicking the dog off as we're trying to pedal away from this thing. Eventually the dog runs back to its yard. Andrew has a bite in his leg and we do not take that way home. We go a different way home, a new route, right? And we find out that Andrew's mom was rather upset as a mom should be. And next thing you know, Andrew is now packing like a little tiny can of mace just in case another dog comes near him as he's riding on his bike. But then the next time we go, let's go ride ride our bikes. But we got a plan this time, right? When we come closer to that house, we won't just kind of lackadaisically just kind of cruise on by and wave at the dog. We're going to start picking up speed so when we pass the house, we're already at like full speed, right? You got to pedal as fast as you can. So when that dog comes out and sees us and he wants to come and chase us and bite us, man, we're already at top speed. We're good. So we're chasing. We're flying by this house. The dog tries to catch us. There's no way he's catching us. And here we are as fast as we can. We, we make it, right? You're asking yourself, why in the world is Trevor talking about a story of riding his bike by a house with a crazy rabid dog? I think about this. If you're like me, when it comes to the topic of forgiveness, is I find myself on my proverbial bike of life going as fast as I can to avoid forgiveness in my life. I go as fast as I can to avoid forgiving those who have done wrong to me or hurt me. Any moment that I approach that subject of forgiving others or people in your life who have done you wrong, how can I pedal as fast as I can out of that situation? See, for me, even preparing this message, I was looking over the last bits of my notes on Tuesday afternoon. I was sitting down at a coffee shop here in town, and I'm trying to figure out where I'm going to kind of put these little last bits and pieces, and then I'll sharpen it up by Thursday to be completely finished and done with it. And I'm sitting there, and I kid you not, I, I, I couldn't continue even preparing the message. The message meant absolutely nothing anymore. What made the most sense in that moment was to do something I haven't done for years, and that's forgive people who have wronged me and hurt me. So I kid you not, for the next hour and a half, I wrote, I opened up a Google Doc, and I wrote people to forgive, and I started writing some people, and then I started writing these letters, and then I had to hit send. Now, I'm not saying that, sharing that story because I have it all right or I'm really great. The truth is there's a lot more on the list that have yet to receive a letter or have yet to have the courage to write what really truly needs to be written. But for me, this week was an incredibly vulnerable week to not just come up here and preach another message about forgiveness because truly, honestly, for me, it could be really easy and simple. 
but I couldn't move forward without hitting send on those letters to certain folks in my life that have, I feel like I need to lend forgiveness to. And my hope, my prayer for you this morning is that that may even be the same thing that resonates with you, that there's some individuals or people in your life that you're thinking, man, another message on forgiveness, another opportunity to race as fast as I can to avoid this, to pedal as fast as I can to get by and not listen to every single thing he says. There's gonna be some things that are gonna be good, but the whole forgiving part, meaning the doing part, how do I avoid that? And if you're like me, that's exactly what I've done for many, many years in my life. And I say to myself, I don't want to do that any longer. I want to learn how to forgive quicker. Amen? So I pray that that would be our posture today, that we would be able to forgive and learn the power and freedom in forgiveness. So let's start with a famous prayer. I said this uh, the very first week of this series back in January. This is the Lord's Prayer. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray, and he says, pray then like this, our Father who is in heaven, Hallowed be your name, which simply means holy is your name, holy you are. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. So Jesus is teaching his disciples, forgive us of our mistakes, our debts, as we also learn how to forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That's where the prayer actually ends. But then Jesus continues, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Sounds incredibly familiar to what we read earlier in Mark eleven twenty five. that if you have trespasses against someone else and you're holding on to those things and you've yet to forgive those individuals, then your own sins will not be forgiven by your Father in heaven. So we can all kind of agree, this thing, number one, was really important to Jesus, and number two, this forgiveness thing is foundational. Amen? Now I want to look at this word, trespasses. In, in the original language, in the Hebrew language, it's, it's, it's the word like transgressions in English, trespasses or rebellion. But in, in the Hebrew language, there's these two words, and the noun and the verb, the noun is pesha or pesha, and then the verb is pesha. So pesha is the noun, and then pesha would almost be like the action of transgressing against another person. And then in the original Greek, we see this word paraptoma. You'd see Paul talking about transgressions in our relation to our now relation to Jesus, that he took on our trespasses, he took on our transgressions, so he would be using the word paraptoma there in the New Testament. But we're looking at the old original Hebrew language is that pasha or pasha, you would actually do this with someone. This word simply meaning that there's a violation of trust within a relationship that Pesha describes the betrayal of a relationship. That the Old Testament would talk about by using these different terms, it would mean that if you had a transgression with somebody, or nation upon nation, they would have almost like a treaty deal, and then one nation would betray the other nation, that would be called Pesha. And it wasn't that they did it to another nation or to another person, the even stronger significance that I found was that it was done with that person. A violation was done with 
the person that you were transgressing against or crossing the trespass with or, or rebelling against. This was not just something you'd do to someone. This is someone you'd actually do something with. There would be such a heavier weight to when you would pesha with someone. You would break their trust, violate your trust with them and them with you. There was a level of deep betrayal. John in the New Testament uses some other kind of hurtful language. In 1 John 4, 20, it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. Thanks, John. <laughs> it's like, how you guys feeling this morning? <laughs> right? Oh my goodness, I, I love God. And yet I hate my brother. What does that make me? A liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God who he is can, can, cannot see, right? So we look at this idea of violation of trust. These are these harsh words I think that you and I experience, maybe even in your own life. Maybe it's someone has pesha against you. They've, wished, they, they've, they've violated your trust and they've betrayed you in certain types of ways. And for the most part, what you've done is you've kind of like held on to that for a long, long time. And if you're like me in many ways, you just kind of hoard it really down deep where hopefully no one finds where that is laying in your life. It's almost sitting in a room proverbially in your life where I hope that no one actually opens that door. And yet this is the stuff that Jesus talks about. And I want to look at Mark chapter 11. What transpired before he mentioned this topic of forgiveness? We see here in Mark 11, 12 through 14. On the following day, when they, Jesus and his disciples, came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, may no one ever eat from this tree again, eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Now, quick pause. Jesus is walking with his disciples. He sees a fig tree fully bloomed, leaves and everything. On the outside, it looks amazing. As he approaches and gets closer, he notices there's no fruit being produced from the tree. So what does Jesus do? He curses it. Now, you might think Jesus is hangry. He's all mad. It says Jesus was hungry. And as he approached the thing that was going to feed him, he's like, curse you, tree. I was hungry. And his disciples were like, yeah, we're hungry too. You know, it's like, that's not actually what's going on. What's really taking place under the surface, if you look in the Old Testament, that prophets like Jeremiah and Hosea, they would refer to the Israelite people, the children of God, as fig trees without figs. That they would talk about on the outside, you have it all together, but as I come closer and closer, nothing good is actually being produced. So Jesus is doing this, and he's referring to this fig tree, and he's correlating that with the children of Israel in that time, but also the religious leaders that on the outside have it all together. And as Jesus approaches closer and closer and closer and notices that there's no figs on this tree, Jesus then curses the fig tree and his disciples hear this. So we continue with the story. We'll move down to verse 20 in chapter 11. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And I love Peter. Peter remembered and said to him, hey, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is gone. It's withered. You did it. 
hooray. You know, it's like Peter's the best. He's just always like Captain Obvious, right? He's like, hey, what you said the other day, bro, you're good. You did it, man. I've seen you heal some folks, but you just cursed a tree that didn't feed us the other day, and you're amazing for it. And Jesus doesn't really even address Peter's excitement. And we read this earlier, but we're gonna read it from the ESV, verse 22. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass and it'll be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it. And it'll be yours. Verse 25, we read this earlier. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, friends, I find this somewhat confusing. Jesus curses his fig tree that is a clear picture of the religious leaders of the day that on the outside they look great, but something in the inside is not being produced. And what does Jesus actually begin to teach his disciples in that moment? There's three things. One, he teaches the disciples about faith. What's missing from the religious leaders' lives? It could be maybe the fruit of having faith. So he begins to address faith, faith that can move mountains. And then he begins to teach about prayer, that you can ask anything in my name and it shall be given you. He talks to the disciples about prayer. I understand those two. That's easy for you and I to get. Why did I curse the fig tree? What am I addressing here, disciples, that all the religious leaders that you're seeing that are trying to practice this thing is not actually producing the stuff I want them to produce, like faith and prayer. And then Jesus says, forgive. Forgiveness. Jesus could have taught anything in this moment to talk to the disciples to let them know, why did I curse this fig tree? Why, was it, why am I upset about the religious leaders looking so great on the outside of their lives that yet when you get closer and closer to them, there's a few things missing. The fruit that's missing from their life is faith, prayer, forgiveness. They're not practicing any sort of forgiveness in their life. May I submit a question to all of us that could discovering our purpose in Christ be closely tied to our ability and willingness to forgive? Because if you're like me, we understand faith. A lot of us, we have faith. We have faith for so many different things in our life. Prayer, we get prayer, right? We, we pray every single week. We pray for things during our day and during our week. We pray for neighbors and friends and family members. We know what that takes, what that takes in our lives. But Jesus' forgiveness? You, you notice that the religious leaders of the day that were practicing all this beautiful stuff on the outside, but, the yet, but yet when you got closer and closer to them, they were not producing the thing that you were asking, requesting, and commanding them to do, and that was to forgive. And Jesus points out, what's missing in your life? It's forgiveness. The fruit of forgiveness. And this is why I say forgiveness for you and I is incredibly foundational for our lives. Amen? Amen. Living this life of forgiveness. And perhaps you, if you find yourself in this room, if you've lived long enough, you have had Pesha done with you from another person. Someone in your life, a loved one, a relative, a friend, a coworker, five years ago, 10 years ago, 
20 years ago, a few months ago. There's been a violation of trust. There has been betrayal. And Pesha has happened with you. And there's transgression that has taken place. There's a trespass that has happened. There's some pain and hurt that you, if you've lived long enough on this earth, know that you have had that take place. And what do you do with that? If you're like me, like I said earlier, you try to pedal as fast as you can to get by it so you don't actually have to address it. And that is the hardest work that you and I believe we have to commit to is that when wrong is done, we step in with courage and we actually address, we learn how to walk in forgiveness. Now, friends, what I'm not suggesting for any single one of you who have truly experienced grave pain of trust and betrayal from others in your life to just immediately think you can just forgive tomorrow. This is a long journey for a few of us. But it's a commitment to say, I'm gonna be a person that produces really good fruit in my life because I know the power of forgiveness. What does forgiveness do? It brings so much freedom to you, the person to say, I forgive you. I was thinking about what I said earlier to continue even writing this message. I, I, it's like I couldn't even, with integrity, write any more little nuances of this message without having to sit and write these little letters. And then I was thinking, as I was even driving in today, this morning, I was praying, thinking, starting to do the math of two of these letters I had to write. It was something that was done seven years ago. And I literally had a moment in my car as I was driving, I was like, bro, seven years, man. You've been stuffing that thing for seven years. And for some of us in the room, it, it may be the same. It could be like, yeah, dude, but you don't know what they did. It's been seven years. Yeah, it could have been seven months. It could have been 17 years. I don't know what it is. But for me, that realization of like, man, I just want to be a person that truly looks at the text and doesn't just read it and talk about it, but read it and apply it. That living a life of forgiveness is the best way to live with Jesus. Amen? So when he says, forgive us our debts, God, forgive me of my transgressions as I do the same to those who have pained and hurt me and have violated my trust. And maybe even for you, you feel that you've done this with someone else. And there's something stirring up on the inside of you. You're saying, oh man, I don't like that feeling. And you're gonna have to do the hard work at going to someone and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? This idea of carrying pain and bitterness and hoarding all this unforgiveness, I can't think of a better way to paint this picture but to tell you a story of a black 1997 Infinity I-30. You might be asking, what in the world does that have anything to do with forgiveness? Well, this is a car that in early on in Amy and I's marriage, we were about a year and a half in, we had a car that was passed down to us. Now look, if you're young and 22, 23 years old and someone wants to give you a car, you know what you do? You take the car. So any young bucks out here being like, I'm too good for the 1997 Infiniti I-30, you take the car and you say, thank you. So the thing is, I knew this car because this was actually my dad's car when I was growing up in high school. And I remember it was like, it's kind of a cool car. It like a nice little stereo system. It kind of a little pickup, you know, at the stoplights. I like this. I like this car. You're going to pass that car down to us. This is great. And I knew I already had a car. So this is actually going to go to Amy, my wife. I was like, 
babe, you're gonna love this thing. What I didn't know is that that car was then passed to my sister, who then took it out to Chicago for school and for many years living out there. And it was now at my grandparents' house, and that's where my parents said, hey, go pick it up. It's at grandma and grandpa's house, and the key should be in it. It's yours. Just pay the insurance. I'm like, great. Does it take gas? What do I care? You know what I mean? So we're driving out there, and I'm, we're good. I'm telling Amy about it. You're gonna, this is going to be your car. It's going to be great. I promise. So we get there. I notice that this black 1997 Infiniti i30 is no longer simply just black. It's got some yellow paint stains on it. We got some red, some, some white marks. It's like some door dings, some dents in it. We notice that one of the windows don't roll back up. The AC doesn't work. The muffler drags. All true story. I remember literally when you drive this car on the road, it would spark because the muffler would drag. And now again, it's I get it. This is like at this time, maybe a 12-year-old car, which is not really even all that bad, but this car has seen a few things. It's been through a few storms in its life, and now it's in our possession. Now, but again, at the same time, like, hey, A to B, right? Home, job, grocery store, it's good. If it, if it's, if it doesn't leak gas, it'll work, right? But this thing wasn't really on its, it was definitely on its last leg. And yes, I know right now you're thinking to yourself, how dare you let your wife drive that car and you're judging me that I didn't take the car and she should have taken the other car. I know what you're thinking. And here's the thing. I forgive you for it. Okay. So we're cool. It's no problem. I can handle it. Okay. I'm, I'm a grown man. But as I was thinking about this car, I was thinking about my own life. And I was thinking about how, in many ways, this is exactly how I kind of carry on in my life when I'm hoarding bitterness and unforgiveness deep down. Is that I know I can get from A to B. I can make it. I can, I can get to places. It's not looking very good. Heck, it might not even be all that safe. But I'll know I eventually will show up. But what I do know, and I've realized more than ever, is that I'm actually not showing up as the best version of myself because I have all of this pain and hurt and unforgiveness that's stored up inside of me. And maybe even just for you, you think to yourself, man, I'm getting from A to B. I I can get around in life, but man, there is so much bent up hurt and pain because there's been so much violation of trust and betrayal that has gone on in my life. And I'm telling you, friends, can we no longer live like that? can we begin to actually step into a sense of freedom by learning how important this value that Jesus teaches on in forgiveness. And it is a journey and it is a commitment. And friends, it takes an immense amount of courage. But can we be people that step into forgiveness? Let me close with this beautiful story of redemption. In the book of Genesis, we find two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau were the sons of Isaac, one of the patriarchs of the Jewish faith. And Esau was the oldest and Jacob was the youngest. And we find before what we're gonna read here today is that Jacob was a little bit of a swindler, a little bit of a deceiver and manipulated his way to receive the birthright that was actually rightfully for Esau, the oldest. Now this birthright was almost like all the inheritance of Isaac, all the blessing of Isaac, the father would have been been passed directly to Esau. And Jacob, the younger brother, swindles Esau to get that birthright. So already there's a little bit of a fracture in the relationship. Are you following? These two brothers already kind of have some problems, some tension, some friction points. 
And then towards the end of Isaac's life, Isaac is part of seeing and Jacob is convinced to get the commanded blessing that would go to the firstborn, Esau, and he finds his way into his father's tent and he fools his dad to then for Isaac to lay his hand on Jacob as if he's thinking he's blessing Esau and he blesses Jacob with this commanded blessing and Esau eventually finds out that the blessing that was rightfully his now went to his younger brother, Jacob. And here's where the story picks up in Genesis chapter 27, 34 through 36 says this. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob for he has cheated me in two these two times he took away my birthright and behold now he has taken away my blessing then he said have you not reserved a blessing for me guys I look at this scripture and I think I am at a movie and this is the biggest climax of the film this is so cinematic this is like two brothers going at it and something terrible happens where the older brother's like do you have anything left for me though And his father has to say, no, I already gave it to Jacob. What was rightfully yours, I gave it away because he deceived me, because he violated your trust. He betrayed you, Esau. And this is Esau's response in verse 41. Now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father, they are approaching. In other words, my dad is about to die. And when he does, then I will kill my brother, Jacob. I don't know about you, but I'm reading these story, this story this week. And it's like, I honestly feel like I'm in a movie. This is intense. Esau's like, I know he's about to die. And let me tell you, when he does, I'm coming for you, Jacob. I'm coming for you. Can you feel that? That that energy, that, that emotion that Esau must have had, that all that was his is now completely ripped away from him. A violation, Pesha was done with him, that his own brother completely violated trust and betrayed him. And when we find out that Jacob doesn't stay and fight, what does Jacob do? He runs, he flees like a coward. With the blessing that Isaac gave him, Jacob runs and he flees. And we pick up the story 20 years later. 20 years later, Jacob built his family. That blessing that Isaac gave him, he lived in that blessing. It all came to pass. And Jacob is living in this beautiful, blessed life. And then we find out that there's actually a messenger that comes back to Jacob that says, Esau, he's right around the corner, bud. Your brother... He's coming. That's what it says in 32, six through eight. The messenger returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you and there are 400 men with him. Hey, it's not just me, right? This is like getting intense. (laughs) If you're Jacob and for 20 years you thought maybe you were scot-free and you just found out your brother that you violated, that you betrayed, that you hurt, that you broke trust with is right around the corner and not just by himself. Friends, he has 400 men with him. You are in trouble. 
You can feel the, the, the distress that Jacob must be feeling. It says, Jacob was greatly, what, afraid and distressed. He divided the people who were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two camps, thinking if Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Jacob is using those strategic skills. He's saying, well, if I split my family in half and Esau comes and kills half of them, at least I'll have half to live and hang out with. He's trying to figure out, I know Esau's coming for one thing. What is that? He's coming to get me because of what I did to him. He's coming to wipe out me and whatever's left, whatever's connected to me, my family, my livestock, my children, whatever it takes, Esau's coming to get me and I gotta figure out a way to avoid it. We scroll down to Genesis 33 from the message translation. It says this, Jacob looked up. He saw Esau coming with his 400 men and this is the moment. Jacob's either gonna face the music or he's gonna run again, right? Jacob and Esau, head to head. This is it. This is like almost the end of the movie. It's happening. Jacob looked up and he saw Esau coming with 400 men. He divided the children between Leah and Rachel and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants out in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph last. He led the way. Jacob leads the way. And as he approached his brother, he bowed down seven times and honoring his brother. But Esau ran up and embraced him, held him tight, and he kissed him, and they both wept. Are you feeling like, guys, this is, this is the, the, one of those stories I don't feel like I remember really listening or reading all that much about Jacob and Esau. I only think about the birthright and the betrayal. Friends, Esau has his 400 men and he is meeting Jacob and they're about to go head to head. And this is it, 20 years in the making. I've been hoarding this bitterness, this rage because of your transgressions against me. It is now time for us to fight and Esau runs to him. You imagine Jacob maybe stepping back and instead of fighting, he hugs him and he weeps and they both begin to weep. You can almost feel this pain just kind of begin to fall, all the hoarded hurt and bitterness, the pressure that was happening, the transgression, the violation of trust and the betrayal began to actually dissolve and fade away and love began to overcome and forgiveness takes place. This, my friends, is the power of forgiveness in our lives. Two brothers full-on violation, full-on pain and hurt, full-on pesha, full-on transgression and trespasses. And yet, we see a picture of beautiful forgiveness taking place. And after they hugged and after they're weeping, like a big brother would say, Esau looked around and saw all the women and the children, and he says, who are these with you? Tell me about your family. Tell me who's with you. Who have you been raising? What's been going on these last 20 years? I know what you did 20 years ago. I have forgiven all of that. I'm here to say I love you and I forgive you. I'm here to embrace you and your entire family. Who's this that's with you? Right? And Jacob says, the children that God saw fit to bless me with. Oh, man. Two brothers coming together. Not at the end battle scene. It's not like infinity in war or in game. It's not like this big thing's about to happen. No, it's actually they run to each other and they embrace and they love and they hug and they forgive. Man. 
That's the way we are to be. And it continues as I close out. Genesis 33.10 says this in the message. As Jacob is trying to give all these gifts over to Esau, and Esau actually wants Jacob to stay with him, but Jacob has to go his own way, and Esau is going to go his own way. But he says this to Esau. He says, hey, please, if you can, find it in your heart to welcome me. Accept these gifts. Accept these things I'm giving you. Because when I saw your face, it was the face, it was like the face of God smiling on me. Man, I love that line. When I saw your face, when we held each other and kissed, and when we embraced, and when we wept as brothers that are bearing a hatchet and beginning to actually reconcile their pain and their hurt and love and forgiveness reigns, man, it was like seeing the face of God, the favor of Almighty God. I could feel it. I could sense it. And friends, that is the power of the freedom when it comes to us forgiving those who have hurt us and pained us. And that's what Jesus invites you and me into on a daily basis. Amen? So what does this look like for you and for me? What are the hard letters you're going to have to write? What are the hard phone calls you're going to have to make? What are the tough conversations you're going to have to have? Is it going to look just like this? Probably not. Hopefully. I wouldn't set any expectations. Truthfully, I'm writing some of these letters and some of the response came back and I was like, Oh, I didn't expect it that way. And it's okay, because I did my part. Forgive. Feel free again, as if the face of God is shining on your life. Amen? So for us, for you and for me, may we not be the fig tree that looks great on the outside, but may we, as people come closer and closer to your life, as they see faith, in a life of prayer, but this thing that almost oozes out of your life, you're just quick to forgive. And that's the fruit that's being produced out of your life, a life of forgiveness. Friends, may we hear stories of mercy being extended, of love being extended, of grace and forgiveness being extended amongst our community amongst our family members, amongst, amongst neighbors, amongst coworkers, amongst people that maybe have hurt you and pained you decades ago. And you begin to experience a level of freedom that you've never experienced before. May you experience the face of God shining on your face. Amen? Maybe not be getting on our proverbial bike of life, pedaling as fast as we can to get by and avoid forgiveness any longer. Mark eleven twenty five, 25, and when you stand and pray, forgive anything you may have against anyone so that your Father in heaven will forgive the wrongs you have done. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, we submit this message to you. We submit your words to our own lives that, God, we would be people that live a life of forgiveness. God, there's so much hurt and pain that has taken place, I know, in many of my friends' lives here in this, in this room. Betrayal of trust, violation of trust and betrayal taking place so many times. God, we just don't want to begin to hoard that stuff and live with that any longer. We want to begin to step into a life of forgiveness. Jesus, you invited us into it. God, you even commanded us to live it. God, may the story of Jacob and Esau begin to resonate in our own hearts. God, may, as we step into a life of forgiveness, experience the face of God shining upon our own. 
God, may we walk in favor and freedom because, God, we begin to embrace forgiveness in our lives. We love you. We thank you. Give us courage even this week. In Jesus' name, and every single person said, amen.